scripture that we want to spend some time on this, this morning is recorded in Luke chapter 13. These are the words of Jesus. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans who blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. Then he told him this parable. A man had a fig tree in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this tree, and I have found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure and then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then cut it down. This is the word of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, believe it or not, this is week three in the season of Lent, which means we are halfway, halfway to Easter. Now, I don't know exactly who came up with the idea of the church calendar and went out and picked all of the different scriptures that are chosen for each Sunday. But I do know that they had a specific purpose in mind, and that purpose was to help followers of Jesus like you and me develop a rhythm of life around his teaching, around his sacrifice for us on the cross. And so the theme of this Lenten season that we have been working on is simply called to the cross. So you might recall that two weeks ago on week number one, we watched Jesus out there in the wilderness as he faced and defeated Satan for us as our substitute, as our savior, and then pours into us the power and the determination to resist and reject temptation in our own lives. And then just last week, we were called to this cross in order that we might receive and then bear witness to the unfathomable love of God that was described in that passage like a hen seeking to gather her chicks under her wings, but also to face these terrifying words of Jesus at the end of last week's reading, but you were not willing. It is exactly that unwillingness that lies latent in every one of us that Jesus comes today and seeks to overcome in us. Because you see, we're called to the cross again today to discover the most thrilling, the most delightful, the most productive way of life possible. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask this text the question, how can you and I have the real life, the thrilling, delightful, productive life that we were created for and that every human being longs for? Now, it's not too hard to imagine the scene 
that is set in our text for today. You might remember that last week we were talking about how the religious leaders, those are the Pharisees and the scribes, had had it up to here with Jesus preaching and his teaching and his healing. And if you paged back in your Bible to chapter 11, verses 53 and 54, Luke, who is the author of this account of Jesus' life and work, reported this. The scribes and the Pharisees began to press Jesus hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say. So when someone in the crowd raises the issue of the slaughter of Galileans while offering their sacrifices in Jerusalem, it, it might have been genuinely out of a righteous rage at this wanton abuse of power by Pilate, or it could have actually been a setup for Jesus to say something that would make him the target of Roman suspicion. Look, either way, there are no details of this event actually available. So we've got to use our imagination a little bit. And what we know is that Galilee was way up on the northern frontier of the nation and that, that Galilee had become a bit notorious for harboring rebels and some men who were called the zealots who were anxious to rid the nation of the Romans. So it's not really all that hard or far-fetched to imagine that Pilate, with all of his spies out there amongst the community, had caught wind of something that these particular Galileans had decided to do, and he wanted to nip it in the bud. Because these people that he was trying to govern, with all of their factions and with their, with their religious fervor, were not easily managed. And yet Pilate's actions are brutal, and they they reveal his contempt for the people that he was responsible for governing. Now we pause here for a minute to recognize that such tyrannical abuse of power was back then and still is a very ugly reality of living in a fallen and broken world. I mean, honestly, it's not that hard to translate the scene of the text into the presence by simply asking a question like, are the Ukrainians worse sinners than all the rest of us that they should be suffering the ravages of war at the hands of a brutal tyrant? Look, the culture in Jesus' time believed that you could make a one-to-one -one correspondence between such suffering and specific sin. The people then believed that if you came under the kind of punishment from God at the hands of the civil authority that these Galileans did, then it was absolutely obvious that you must be guilty of some serious sin. Now, I would suggest to you that our culture is exactly the opposite. That our culture tends to say, oh no, surely, surely no one ever deserves such treatment. But I want you to think about this with me because the people of Jesus' day were certain, they were absolutely certain, that if they could just get rid of the Romans, that then the people would be able to live in peace and in harmony, even though they had 
1,500 years of historical evidence that proved otherwise. Now, it seems to me that we sometimes like to believe that if we could just get rid of the Republicans or the Democrats or the Russians, name your poison, if we, if we could do that, then we would be able to finally establish a society in which those who are in positions of authority would protect our freedom and would establish justice for all because all we really need is just a little more time, a little more money, a little more education, a little more opportunity for everybody, except people there are 2,000 years of history since Jesus that proves otherwise. I mean, think about this with me. Why is it that when you give all of the powers to workers in socialism that they get selfish and unproductive? Why is it that when you give all of the power to the people at the top in capitalism, they get selfish and exploitative? What is it about our human nature that has managed to gut every economic and political system that we have ever come up with? How can we have the thrilling, delightful, productive life that we were created for and that every human being is longing to have? The solution to humanity's problem, people, does not start at the top and trickle down. Jesus adds another example. I mean, think about it. Who knows? There may have actually been some bad Galileans in that mix who actually deserved it to be cut down by Pilate. And so I think Jesus, to drive his point home, introduces another example, this time of, of 18 innocent bystanders who apparently were killed when a tower in Siloam fell on them. And he asked the same question, were they worse sinners than any others? And he begs us this morning to see the point that the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. Jesus assumes something very different than what we assume. I mean, when we read the book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, what is our assumption? Well, our assumption is something like, well, well, sure, I mean, there are some genocidal maniacs out there who truly deserve to have towers fall on them, but most of us don't. I mean, honestly, doesn't God owe most of us a good life? But what Jesus says is that the underlying question that nobody actually wants to tackle is not, why does God allow so much suffering in the world? The real question is, why does God allow so little? Have you ever, have you ever even stopped to think about how much suffering God keeps away from us on a day-to-day -day basis? Because you know what I think? I think that if God were not restraining evil all of the time, we would have destroyed ourselves a hundred times over and that within a 24-hour period. 
Here's what Jesus is trying to teach us. If you and I do not know that deep in our hearts is a radical, malignant, self-centeredness called sin, if you don't realize that, then you are simply naive. Jesus is saying, stop looking around at how, others, how bad others might be and instead look at yourself. I mean, how can we have a thrilling, productive, delightful life that we all long for? I am absolutely desperate this morning to try and help us understand what true repentance actually is. Because the way that I grew up and the way that I think we think about repentance most of the time as just some sort of vague general sense of guilt, maybe even a little self-loathing where we say, I, a poor, miserable sinner, where we go around beating ourselves up and telling ourselves what awful people we are, that's because we don't understand repentance. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul, who was one of the first followers of Jesus, writes this amazing thing to the believers in Rome. Look what Paul says. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Now listen to this. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Jesus is saying that the awful things that happen in this world and in our lives is a constant reminder that we are actually a part of the brokenness of this world that should cause us to continuously turn back to God and confess our part in the mess. That is to repent. But that's not the only time to repent. Because what Paul is saying in this text is that when good things happen to you, when God is kind to you, when God showers his riches and his forbearance and his patience on you, in other words, when the tower doesn't fall on you, when in fact you sell the tower to somebody else for a million dollars in a great real estate deal, stop and repent then too. Don't you see that the bad things that happen in this world and in our lives are always in the hands of a loving God who is constantly trying to turn us back to him? And at the same time, all of our good things come from him and are designed to do the same thing, to turn us around, to turn us back to him. Because you and I will always be lost sinners who are saved solely by God's infinite love for us in Jesus. Therefore, we repent continuously in good times and in bad. We keep turning back to God in every circumstance. In the first of his 95 theses that Martin Luther posted on the door of the Wittenberg Church, in 1517 that lit the fuse on the Reformation, Luther wrote these words, all of life is repentance. 
You and I are being called today to discover the most thrilling, the most delightful, the most productive way of life there is. How can you receive it? Repent. And then Jesus told a story to help us visualize our situation. Look, the vineyard is the kingdom of God. It's this world put right through faith in Jesus. And the fig tree planted in the vineyard is the church. It's you and it's me trusting and believing in Jesus' perfect life, his death and his resurrection. And every day God comes looking for fruit, which always reminds me of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But unfortunately, more often than not, when he comes to me, you know what he finds? He finds indifference, grumpiness, worry, shortness of temper, meanness, badness, harshness, inconsistency, and self-indulgence. Repentance is trusting and believing in Jesus, whose was the only human life that was full to the brim and overflowing of that good fruit. Repentance is trusting and believing that Jesus was actually the tree that was cut down for us on the cross. Repentance is joyfully and consciously turning to him every day, every moment of every day, and receiving from him the thrilling, delightful, productive life that we long for. But Jesus is the vine dresser. And he breaks up the self-righteous, excuse-making soil of our hearts that gets packed down every single time that we start comparing our sin to the sins of others. Jesus is here in our midst to work his real presence down into the soil of our lives through this sermon which he then waters with the water of your baptism, which he's going to feed in just a moment with his body and blood and the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. Repentance is joyfully turning to God in all circumstances, both in the good times and in the bad times, because you know how much God loves you in Jesus. So look, when good things happen to you, instead of getting all puffed up and congratulating yourself, what repentance does is stop and say, hey, wait a minute, I didn't deserve any of this. Everything I have in my life is mine by sheer grace. And you know what? It could all be gone next week, but that's not what matters. What matters is that I am a forgiven, dearly loved son or daughter of the one and only triune creator, God of the universe, who is bound for eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. Repentance is a joyful turning to God 
Even when bad things happen, either by your own fault or by virtue of living in this broken mess of a world and knowing that God never stops loving you, he always forgives you for Jesus' sake. He hears you when you cry out, stop this war, stop this cancer, stop this abuse of power. And then he turns and works in you the ability to trust in him in the midst of it all. Repentance is the thrilling, delightful, productive mindset. It is an attitude. It is an approach to life that will open the door to fruitful living. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So let me close with this. What might that look like for you this week? Now, I have a suggestion for you. What I'd like for you to do this week is to keep a check on your anger and your anxiety because you know what? That's where your sin usually leaks out first. I worry about this place called St. Luke's Lutheran Church and our neighbors next door at the Lutheran Haven. I worry about the health of my coworkers and about what's going on in their families. Of course, the war in Ukraine, of course, the price of gas and groceries, and I get angry about the things that are happening in this world that I have no control over. Well, how about you? I would like for you this week when you catch yourself in one of those moments of anger or anxiety to try something. Now, I'm going to warn you beforehand that if you do this in public, people might think you've lost your sanity, okay? But you can do it in your head or in the privacy of your living room. I want you, first of all, to remember that repentance means to turn around and to face the other direction. So I want you to do that this week when you catch yourself in a moment of anger and anxiety with your head bowed. I want you to physically turn around where you're standing. Then I want you to lift your eyes up toward heaven. And then I want you to reach out your arms like this. I had the privilege this week of spending a couple days of spring break with our two youngest grandkids up in Atlanta. They are four and almost three years old. So there I was standing in the kitchen as they were getting ready to leave for preschool on Friday, and their beautiful Nana says, go give Papa a big hug and make it one that he won't forget all day. And I bent down and I held out my arms and they came running and they threw their arms around my neck and I swept them up in my arms and I got the best squeeze imaginable. My friends, it's a picture of repentance. That's what happens every time you turn back to God. In the good times and in the bad. 
At the cross, God stands with his arms outstretched and he sweeps you up into the embrace of his love and his forgiveness so that you can discover the most thrilling, delightful, productive way of life there is. Now run into his arms. Amen.